14 big ideas from the last year of Side Hustle Show guests. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because your earning power often follows your learning power. This week, I want to share some of my favorite tactics and advice from the last year or so of Side Hustle Show guests, how you can take action on them and how I've been applying them in my own life and business. First up was this nugget from Connor Meekin in episode 489. It took us a little while to figure out email capture on the website and particularly with blog traffic. You know, it's, it's pretty cold traffic. It's really high top of the funnel traffic. A lot of these people aren't ready to purchase and a lot of these people aren't interested in giving you their email address. They just want some information. So our uh, opt-in conversion rate to get people on our email list is it's usually between 3 to 5%. I've heard e-commerce companies tell you that you need to be like 5 to 10%, but pretty sure those companies aren't using all aren't getting all their traffic from SEO because yeah SEO traffic is generally not going to convert as well as you know Facebook ad traffic or something like that it's just not as targeted so I'd love to be at 3 to 5% it seems it seems pretty pretty good to me so I'm at uh, bluebirdprovisions.co and I you know after I'm on the site for a minute the uh, pop up comes up last chance for free phone broth enter our monthly giveaway to win a one month supply of bluebird bone broth enter your email here this is kind of the primary offer that cold traffic is hit with. Yeah, exactly. We've we've tested everything. You know, we've tested lead magnets with content, with you know PDFs. We've tested. We have our bone broth quiz that it does quite well, but nothing does quite as well as just the offer for a giveaway, a chance to win, get free bone broth. You know, evidently people like free, free stuff, so we'll just, we're just going to leave that one there for now. Yeah, is what I see most commonly is you know. Get 10% off your first order, get 20% off your first order, enter your email here and we'll send you your offer code. But tell me about the, the quiz. This is kind of cool. This is right when we kind of got started online. This was like a year and a half ago. I, I saw a matcha company with a cool quiz on their website and noticed that it was just built on Typeform. So I was like, cool, I'm just going to you know rip off this guy's quiz, change it to be more bone broth inspired. And the idea is... If you have a quiz that really just piques people's curiosity, right? It, it's kind of just a more creative way, frankly, to get an email address. But, um, you know, everyone loves to take a quiz. Everyone loves to get their results and kind of see their custom plan or, you know, recipe or custom product recommendations that we're going to give them. So it's about 10 seconds. You just answer a couple questions and it's going to spit out the, the perfect bone broth for, for you, Nick, who um, maybe loves to lift weights or uh, is really hoping to get that natural skin glow in the summer. We're going to have a perfect recommendation for you. So yeah, it's kind of fun. And, and it's just a good way to get a bit more data on the customers that we are acquiring through email. So there's a few things here. The first is knowing your numbers. This is kind of embarrassing, but this wasn't a metric that I tracked or tracked particularly closely. Of all the people who've come to your website, how many of them join your email list? For Connor, 3 to 5% on cold SEO traffic. Pretty good in my mind. For me, when I went through and finally divided email opt-ins by sessions, I had a sense it was going to be lower than 3 to 5%. I got just 1.7%. Room for improvement, right? What gets measured gets managed, as Peter Drucker would say. Second thing is testing. Connor mentioned testing all sorts of different opt-in offers. If you don't have a baseline, you got nothing to test against. And third, the quiz. I love this method of helping point customers in the right direction and getting some data on them at the same time. We did a whole episode on this with Ryan Levesque, the ask method in episode 508. A little bit of personalization goes a long way. And while I've yet to test out the quiz funnel, opt-in funnel myself, it is on 
the list. It's been on the list for months. And now I've got some baseline data to benchmark it against in terms of performance. The other thing I did take action on as a result of this call with Connor was going through my top 50 posts and adding some you know, high value call to actions at the end of those posts. Hey, start your five day free $500 challenge. Uh, join the free side hustle nation Facebook group. Hey, subscribe to the podcast. And I did see a slight increase, like maybe from 1.7 to 1.8% as a result. And those incremental gains add up. I mean, that was worth an extra 10, 12, 15 subscribers a day or something. Like it wasn't nothing. But if I could bump it up to 3%, like the baseline of what Connor considered acceptable, that would be worth an extra 60, 70 subscribers a day or something, depending on how much traffic is stopping by. That would be huge. And honestly, as I'm recording this, wondering why I really haven't made that priority number one. Another cool quiz as a lead magnet example was from Scott Keller in episode 510. He has this awesome like test your bird knowledge quiz on his bird watching blog, Bird Watching HQ, and collects a ton of emails from it. Now, we talk a lot about top of the funnel stuff, how to get more traffic, how to get more listeners, how to get more email subscribers, and all that is super important. But one area of focus this year has been how to better serve the audience you do have. Nathan Berry explains in episode 532. When I wanted to sell more books and courses, I always looked at how can I increase the top of the funnel? How can I get more attention? And that's good, right? You're, you're trying to reach more people, build your network and influence. But I didn't really focus much on like conversion optimization or where people were dropping off in the funnel. For ConvertKit, that's something we're focusing on like crazy. You know, we realized we have a ton of people coming in at the top of the funnel, but like the free to paid conversion rate isn't that high. That could be better. People are dropping off after the first 30 days. And so we did a couple things. One that, that just worked really well is we switched our defaults from monthly plans to annual plans. And this would be a huge thing. If you're running a membership or a paid newsletter or something like that, or a SaaS company, right? Like, listen to this. So we just changed the default on the pricing page from monthly by default to annual by default. And that took our split from 4% signing up for annual plans up to 14%. Wow. And so that's a big jump, right? Like, that was fantastic. We saw it show up right away in churn and retention numbers as well, right? Like those people three months in, six months in, a lot more of them were sticking around. And so that was a big jump. We then changed like deeper in our funnel when you're adding a credit card. We we tweaked that page to like recommend an annual plan more. And that took it from like, it had been bouncing around to that 14% up to 17%. And that, that second change jumped it to 28%. And so if you're thinking like, oh, you know what? Users will just choose whatever's best for them when they want to buy. I don't need to push them to like one plan or one package of a product versus another. Uh, just in small tweaks, we went in the last year from three and a half percent, four percent of customers signing up, signing up for annual plans to now twenty eight percent, and that's going to have a huge, huge effect in the business. So I've got a long way to go to get my funnels, so to speak, as dialed in as Nathan to be able to rattle off those kind of numbers. But one of my projects this year was to build out a longer term nurture sequence for new email subscribers. I built this in Active Campaign, and over the course of a few months after somebody signs up, it just highlights some of the best content from the Side Hustle Nation archives, with really the primary goal being to strengthen relationships with new email subscribers and really helping them in their side hustle journey. 
the nurture sequence does make sales, does make affiliate conversions as well. I just haven't gotten to the point of split testing different messages or offers to see which one is worth more. But building out an automated series in this way, I think it's a really cool way to engage with subscribers consistently and hopefully get them deeper into your content, deeper into your brand. Because newsletter subscribers, yeah, they're going to get the new stuff that I publish, but over the course of nine years of doing this, there's a lot of gold that could be helpful to them in the archives as well. So this is your call to both not let that stuff get buried because a big segment of your audience probably has never seen it before. And if they have, they might not remember. And just to not think about only the top of the funnel, but also about your customer experience. Once they're a part of your ecosystem, how are you taking care of your audience? How are you taking care of your clients, your customers in a way that helps them and serves your business as well? Funnel optimization or customer journey optimization, courtesy of Nathan Barry. Again, episode 532, we chat about his ladders of wealth creation in that one. It's good stuff. Now, on that note of there being gold in the archives, I started to notice this several years ago, putting together my quarterly progress reports. I'd bring up the Google Analytics for the last three months and notice that the pages that got the most traffic were almost never the new articles that I published during that quarter. They were the articles that I'd written months or years ago. And in recognizing that those were a steady source of traffic, it made more sense to continue investing time and making sure that they were still relevant, that they were still up to date. This is in contrast to my first five plus years of blogging, where I saw just about every article as a one and done static post, almost like a journal entry timestamped on that date rather than an evergreen piece of content. But yeah, I mean, WordPress gives you the ability to go back in and update this stuff. I just very rarely took advantage of it before noticing this. This is where the passive and active income parts of blogging kind of come together. Yes, these digital assets that you create can have a really long shelf life. They can earn traffic and revenue for years and it feels passive in the moment. It definitely does. Like you, if you're not working during that day and you get the report like, oh, you know, thousands of people stopped by and I made X amount of dollars. And especially if like, oh, I got 2,500 page views on this article from 2019. But just like a piece of real world real estate, there's upkeep and there's maintenance required. You got to go in and trim the grass and paint the trim every now and then. And sometimes you got to put on a new roof or replace the furnace by rewriting big sections of the content or adding a new section, expanding it. And as the library of content has grown, so too has my catalog of posts that require what feels like a constant upkeep. I've likened it to painting the Golden Gate Bridge. By the time you finish, it's time to start back over at the beginning. In episode 482, I asked Robert Farrington from thecollegeinvestor.com, who's got a way bigger library of content than I do, what his process looked like for updating and republishing old content. I use Asana, my content management platform, and you know everything's runs through there. So we have a couple lists that we keep going. So like I have an annual one. We're recording this in January. So I just did our annual updates to move everything that was from 2021 to 2022. And I actually keep a running list of blog posts every year. And these are things like what are the 20... So like we might have an article that references like the 401k contribution limits. So we put it there. And then at the end of the year, we roll everything over so that everyone's getting the fresh, you know, 2022 contribution limits instead of the 2021. So one, it's being organized. Number two is I have an inbox 
that's on the College Investor that I ask all of our companies and partnerships to send me your product updates. So a lot of these companies will send you updates when they update their products. And it's kind of annoying because you get all these like, they, they, oh, we have a new feature or we have a new tool. But honestly, it's extremely helpful. They're doing all the hard work for you. So if you do a review of a product or service, get on their mailing list, make sure you know, and then you'll get an email when they launch something new. And then you just have to go to your review and you can make sure you're updating it or you're updating their pricing. And then finally, there's just a lot of manual checks, right? So, uh, you know, we try to go through a lot of our main content. I like to do um, the top 100 audit. Uh, I try to do that every quarter. And this is where you just go to Google Analytics. You take your top 100 visited posts, export them to a Google Sheet or an Excel spreadsheet and just open them all up and literally check them and make sure that, you know, they're all still current, updated, makes sense, you know, no broken links that whole thing. So yeah, and there's just a lot of systems that we've built. And you know, it's not easy. And we're still finding things all the time that are outdated, but you try to update it as quick as you can. But I think that really goes a long way to keeping your site relevant. It helps with SEO. It helps with everything. Because you know, people don't want to read an article that says like, oh, I made my IRA contribution for 2018. Well, it's like, that's so outdated at this point in time. Like, I don't know if I even want to read the rest of this article because like, is anything else like messed up in a line? So you just got to stay on it. And the reason this is important is in a lot of cases, I found the faster ROI to be in updating old content, maybe bumping it from a middle of page one search result back up to the top or from the bottom of page one to the middle or from the top of page two to the middle of page one, rather than creating something completely from scratch. This is a piece of content that's already indexed. It's already got backlinks pointing to it in a lot of cases. And maybe it's just due for a little refresh. And if you have content that features other brands on an affiliate basis, I definitely like Robert's strategy of having those brands go out and highlight the changes or updates for you rather than having to go out and seek that information out from all your different partners. My content updating and republishing process is something I cover in depth in the traffic course. Check it out at thetrafficcourse.com. Use promo code podcast for a special listener-only discount. This is my quick study guide to SEO on Google and other what I'll call underrated search engines on how you can get more traffic to your website or your online business. Again, that's thetrafficcourse.com with promo code podcast. The second bit of advice from Robert I found helpful was this on where to focus your time as a content creator. I would say pick two. I would say pick a native one if you were starting today. So like figure out your style. Are you a reader? Are you a listener? Or are you a watcher? And make that your primary one. So if you like to podcast, make it audio, right? If you are video native, make it video and, and pick your video platform, right? Whether that's YouTube or TikTok short format, or if you're a writer, start a website. I think there's still plenty of opportunity in all three of those mediums to create content. And then I would say pick a second one, right? And the second one should be the one you promote on that's like not the same, right? So if you're a podcaster, find one that's aligned to your space. So maybe it's business, right? So maybe LinkedIn should be your other platform. Or, you know, if maybe it should be Instagram, maybe it should, you should have a blog to go with it, but complement your main one with something else that maybe it's not your native and, you know, learn and focus and try to grow that. But that way you have a complimentary promotional channel for your main creation channel. And don't call it a blog. Is blogging dead? 
I don't think blogging's dead, but I mean, honestly, it's when I think of a blog these days, I think of like Dear Diary kind of stuff, right? If you are creating a website, you should be creating it with the reader or the end user in mind. And, you know, maybe you are a really interesting person. And so like your diary could be the thing. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of people are looking for the the answer to their problems, the solution, the insight, the understanding of something. And that's really what you should be focused on creating if you're creating a website. There's a lot of pressure to be everywhere, but I liked this call, especially when you're starting out, to pick one platform in addition to your website as your home base and then focus there. For me, that's been podcasting. I don't do much on Instagram, don't do much on Twitter, don't do much on LinkedIn. I've got the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group, but don't do much on Facebook. I've dabbled a little bit in YouTube and it's been exciting, but it hasn't been the main focus. And now as I've got more resources to experiment and expand, I'm going to start playing around more with short form video to try and reach a new audience and really to try and reach a new audience for the podcast, because historically that's been the lead domino. If I can grow listenership, good things tend to happen down the road. Send me the invoice. Those may be the sweetest four words in the English language for an entrepreneur. It's an empowering moment. It's that moment of traction, of validation. And that's when you fire up your 30-day trial of our sponsor, FreshBooks. You draft a professional-looking invoice in just a few clicks, and you get paid fast. You can even use FreshBooks' built-in proposals feature to put together an attention-getting and client-winning bid. What else is inside FreshBooks. What else is under the hood? Well, this is the award-winning invoicing and accounting solution that's built specifically for side hustlers, freelancers, and service providers. How it works is FreshBooks took all the annoying parts of running your business, like building, tracking, and following up on invoices, processing online payments, and organizing your expenses, and it simplified and automated those tasks inside a beautiful, intuitive online dashboard. The end result is you spend less time on that administrative work and more time growing your business. In fact, consistent FreshBooks users report saving up to 11 hours a week. I've been a customer for years. This is the tool that I rely on when I need to invoice clients and advertisers, and I've always been impressed with their ease of use and just how easy they make it to get paid. Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days. There's no credit card required. Just go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle. And big thanks to FreshBooks for their support of the Side Hustle Show. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
The next bit of advice I want to share comes from Georgia Austin from wizardofcontent.com in episode 479. Follow the demand. Seeing as this whole thing has been focused on, you know, Fiverr and gig marketplace and things like that, I would say follow the demand. When you get too many orders or too many inquiries, don't say that you're too booked up. This is your opportunity to grow your business. So bring on people you need to bring on to fulfill those orders and just keep accepting everything. And soon you'll be on your way to having an agency if that's what you wish. (laughs) Now, I don't wish to have an agency, but following the demand is something I've been thinking about really since writing buy buttons in 2016, the thesis of which is to go where the cash is already flowing to start and grow your side hustle. Take advantage of all the online and offline marketplaces where people are already going to buy the product or service you have to offer. In George's case, that was Fiverr for her freelance writing service. In the context of my business, I've been following the demand in a few ways this year. The first is with keyword research on the blog side of the business. A long gone are the days of writing a piece of content without doing the upfront analysis on how many people are actually looking for information on that topic. In practice, that looked like building out what I thought was going to be a reasonable and realistic content plan at the beginning of the year, targeting 12 to 15 new evergreen articles. That's not per week, not per month. That was for the full year, but planning to do them well and have them hopefully have a high hit rate of those uh, posts landing on the first page of Google. My reasoning there was if I could stack up another dozen or so evergreen digital assets to the existing library of content, it would mean incremental traffic and revenue for hopefully years down the road. In terms of search volume or traffic potential, if you're a numbers person, because I'm always like, well, you know, what, what's the minimum search volume you're targeting? I targeted terms that were typically between 250 searches and 10,000 searches a month at the very high end. Most of these articles were being targeted on the lower end of that range. The highest keyword difficulty that I went after was a 40, I want to say. Again, with most of the articles being much lower than that. KD or keyword difficulty is a metric from Hrefs. It's a measure of how hard it's going to be to rank for a given keyword. Now, how well is that theory working in practice so far? Of the 15 articles published so far this year, new articles, uh, you know, a few more got added to the list throughout the year. 12 of those have first page rankings already. So that's good to see that my SEO process is working. Combined, those articles drove 17,000 page views in the last month worth an estimated $1,600 in terms of email signups, affiliate commissions. Now, if that performance stays consistent, that's a $19,000 a year raise from just planting these little digital money seeds, most of them not targeting huge search volume uh, keywords, but following the demand, creating content that answers people's questions, and then trying to build better resources than uh, what's already out there. The next area of following the demand is as it relates to growing the podcast. And there are a few things here. The first was my experiment to move to uh, twice a week publishing, April through mid-August. This was in response to noticing that many, if not most, of the top business podcasts were releasing multiple episodes a week. And the result of this experiment was it did grow the overall audience size a little bit, but it reduced the number of downloads per episode. And it was a difficult pace to keep up with, especially over the summer as I was taking a bunch of time off. But second thing in following the demand is going where your target listeners are. And it's probably easier to get a new listener 
to tune into who's already listened to another podcast than trying to get somebody to download a podcast app for the first time, search through the thing to find your specific show, then search through that feed to find the specific episode you're looking for. John Lee Dumas is famous for giving the somewhat obvious but true advice. Podcast listeners, listen to podcasts. Where's the best place to grow your audience? It's on similar shows. And to that end, I've been working three strategies to grow the Side Hustle Show. The first is free, and that's podcast guesting. In the past, some of the biggest spikes I've seen on the download chart have come following a guest appearance on another relevant show. For that reason, I've rarely turned down a guest request, but this year we've installed a bit of a vetting process for the requests that come in. My assistant, Teresa, is now going to look at how many episodes you've published, how many reviews you have, how many followers you have on certain podcast apps that publish that data. Do you have a website? Does it have show notes? Just trying to get a sense of whether or not people are actually tuning in to make sure that's a worthwhile investment of time. Next, I've been experimenting with some paid podcast uh, marketing through Audrey, uh, A-U-D-R-Y I-O, I believe, and through a couple podcast apps. I ran the show for nine years without any paid ads, but thought, you know what, let's give it a shot this year. Audrey is a cool platform that lets you buy promo placements on other relevant shows. I've probably spent four to 500 bucks on that so far to buy, in theory, several thousand impressions or several thousand downloads. And it's hard to track, you know, how those translate into new listenership. So actually, let me pause. If you've discovered the Side Hustle Show through one of those promo spots, would you reach out and let me know? Nick at SideHustleNation.com is my email or at NLoper on Twitter or Instagram. It'd be awesome to hear from you and learn, did it did it work? Um, and then uh, Scott Johnson from the What Was That Like podcast was telling me about some in-app podcast advertising he did to help grow his show. So I put some cash toward that as well. The best performing one so far has been with CastBox, which was really expensive. It was like 3500 bucks for the campaign, but definitely saw some incremental downloads from that, probably in the range of 15 to 20 cents per download so far. And hopefully those listeners stick around and share it with friends and all that good stuff. Because if you're doing the math on selling CPM sponsorships for, say, 30 bucks for a thousand listeners, but it costs you $200 to go out and acquire those thousand listeners. So the math doesn't really pencil out, but hopefully it's um, a listenership base that that sticks around, that helps uh, evangelize the show on your behalf. So I may do a few more of those with different podcast apps to compare the results, but again, following the demand, in this case, trying to reach podcast listeners where they already are on other shows and in their podcast apps. The third way that I've been following George's advice of following the demand was with the creation of the podcast growth playbook course. When I would go on other podcasts, I get a lot of questions about audience growth. When I get emails from other podcasters, I get questions about getting more downloads. When I'd show up at events, people would ask about growing the show. And after a while, you get hit with the same questions often enough, and it finally hits you where, hey, look, there seems to be some perceived expertise in this area, even if it still feels like, uh, you know, personally, I feel like I still got a lot to learn. But rather than sit and stew on it for months and overthink it like I have a tendency to do, I took this advice from Kat Norton in episode 481. How I've grown so quickly is messy action. I do not wait for things to be perfect. I do not wait for the right time. Like if I start getting an idea, 
I just go after it and I do research and figure out a way to get it done. You're getting intuitive hits. We all are all the time. It's just a matter of if we're listening to them. And then once you start listening to them, you start to build that trust muscle. So now when I get an idea, I'm just like, there is no right time. I'm just going to messy action, get it out the door, get a product out there, get something out there. And then we can always refine it along the way. Take that messy action. Done is better than perfect. In the context of the podcast growth playbook course, I outlined, filmed, edited, and uploaded almost the whole thing in just a few days. For the launch, I purposely combined it with the annual BC Stack promotion and ended up earning 10 grand from it. I didn't give myself the time to stress or stew over the perfect product launch formula, epic sales funnel thing, uh, countdown timer, which I've definitely been guilty of in the past. Plus, I'm really proud of the product. It, it may have came together quickly, but it's the culmination of nine plus years of podcasting. Plus, now I've got another evergreen digital asset that can serve people and help podcasters grow their audience. Podplaybook.co is the URL if you want to check that one out. It goes through the specific growth framework I think about when it comes to growing your podcast audience. Podplaybook.co and promo code podcast for your special listener-only discount there. In episode 511, Matt Ruttenberg gave this advice, which is number seven on today's list. It's uh, especially when you're looking for a side hustle, I think using your your superpower, that whatever that is, whether it's, are you analytical? Are you kind of a networker? Are you, do you like to talk to people? Do you like to connect people? Um, find something that will always be natural for you and, and that'll help you be as successful as you can be and, and be interested in it. Truthfully, I've always found this bit of advice to be a little stressful. Like I don't have the ability to knock through walls or predict the future or edit amazing videos, but there are a couple of superpowers that I've come to embrace this year. The first is curiosity, which years ago never would have considered a skill, let alone a superpower. But this has come up over and over again in Side Hustle Nation surveys or podcast reviews and conversations with listeners. You seem genuinely curious or you ask the follow-up question that was on the tip of my tongue. And I think curiosity is something that's helped me produce 540-something episodes of the show. It's fascinating. What makes all these businesses tick? How'd you come up with that idea? How'd you find your first customers? I love that stuff. And it works on the written content side of the business too. Some of my best performing content started from my own curiosity. Well, how does this app work? Or how do people make money doing fill in the blank? And so that's a superpower I've been leaning into recently. And maybe maybe kids are helpful on the curiosity front too, because kids are naturally curious to learn how things work. And it forces you to stop and look at the leaves and bugs and stuff you normally walk on by without questioning. Actually, on that note, uh, a story from FinCon I think is relevant. A tale of two very different networking strategies. First guy comes up and he's like, hey, I had the goal to hand out 50 business cards tonight. I've only got five left. Would you take one? Sure. You know, and then he walks away. They're like, great, dude. Second guy, a friend of mine, you know, looking around this crowded networking uh, happy hour. He's like, the way I see it, I'm surrounded by teachers. And I just love that quote. I'm surrounded by teachers. I can learn something from everybody. So, so in that scenario, please try to be more like guy number two. The second superpower uh, that I've come to embrace is what I kind of jokingly call turd polishing. This is the process of taking a guest blog post and turning it into something that's worthy in my mind, of ranking on the first page of Google. In practice, it involves rewriting and reformatting to make it easier and more compelling to read. 
It involves adding internal and external links and images. It involves structuring the article to match what's already performing well in the search results. It's a process, but over years of doing it, I genuinely think it's become a bit of a superpower of mine. And the reason this is even a thing in the first place is uh, instead of ignoring all the guest post requests that I get, is I've started turning a few of those around and saying, well, here are the next three to four keywords on my content planner. Remember talking about my content planner that I made at the beginning of the year? If you want to tackle any of these topics, I'll definitely take a look. And in that way, I'm getting content written for free uh, in exchange for a backlink to the author's site. And it's probably faster than me starting from a completely blank page and trying to crank out 2,000 words. It just requires a little polishing before publishing. Now, the next level of this superpower would be to bestow it upon a trusted team member, a writer or editor or blog manager, to do the turd polishing on my behalf, or maybe better yet, just create stuff that's great on the first try. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Several guests gave advice on outsourcing, hiring, and building systems, which has definitely continued to inspire me to do that. This year has seen the creation of several new process flows and additions to what I call my process library that I store in Google Docs. The soundbite that stands out was Jeff DiOrio's in episode 487. Most of our business has grown just me being a full-time dean and having this on the side. I would, as soon as something got unmanageable to where I'm staying up all night doing something, I, I generally think, okay, I need to get a system. That was Jeff's trigger for, I need to get a system. What is it for you? Is it doing the same thing this week as last week? Is it coming to dread certain aspects of your business? Super inspiring episode with Jeff, by the way, on his journey from making $17 an hour working at a summer camp to running a six-figure online and local chess coaching business. Definitely has been a listener favorite, episode 487. If you scroll down in your podcast app, you'll find that one. And now while I'm not pulling all-nighters, there are definitely plenty of areas of opportunity to continue systemizing, especially as it relates to the turd polishing of written content, especially as it relates to getting more mileage on social media out of the content we're already creating at uh, Craft and Commerce in Boise this summer. This was the ConvertKit event that I attended. I went to one session and it was on $10,000 work. The speaker argued that in our business, we have $10, $100, $1,000, and $10,000 work. And maybe it was even on an hourly basis. And at this point, I've delegated most of the $10 an hour and probably some of the $100 an hour work. But there's probably still some that creeps into my day-to-day. -day. And uh, the exercise, it kind of forces you to think, well, what's the $10,000 work 
that I should be doing. And I you know, probably should put a sticky note on the side of the monitor that kind of reinforces that. One result of that talk was this realization that email is not my priority. I've had this bad habit for years of keeping email open all day. I know I'm not supposed to. I know I shouldn't do it. And while some of the messages are important and they are relevant to the work I'm trying to get done, most of it is not. And it's just this huge distraction. There is a point of pride in cleaning out the inbox of processing all that email, but it's so fleeting. And in most cases, it doesn't move the business forward, especially at that thousand or $10,000 level. So this is an ongoing project of mine, getting better about delegation and focusing on the higher level strategy work, the product creation work, the systems and workflow work that can set the team and the business up for greater success without me necessarily tinkering down in the weeds. Easier said than done, but chipping away at it and encourage you to take Jeff's advice about getting some systems in place. One of the biggest challenges in being a human, just being a human with limited hours, like we all are, is coming to terms with never really being done. The to-do lists, the ideas lists, the projects that you want to tackle lists are always going to be longer than there are hours in the day. The book 4,000 Weeks was helpful on this front. It talks about killing the FOMO in your life, the fear of missing out, realizing it's just not realistic to do all the things. So focus on the time that you have, the relationships that you have, and the projects that excite you the most. I feel like there may be an exercise attributed to Warren Buffett where he has, you know, executives reach, you know, write down their uh, 20 top projects and priorities and then cross off the bottom of 17 of them. If you have more than three priorities, you have none. And Brian Guerin's advice from episode 496 was helpful as well. Do something, no matter how little, at least once a day, that is going to help you get closer to your goal. Whether it's you know a side hustle, learning a new skill to apply to a side hustle, whether it's reading a chapter in a book, or you know watching five minutes of a of a course that you're a part of, doing something minimum, one small thing, even even if it's a couple minutes every single day, and using basically the the effect of compound interest. The more you do, even in small bits the more you're going to learn, the more confidence you're going to build. And the once you have that higher higher confidence, you're going to be able to go out and produce this service or product on a, um, a much deeper level. Yes, even if the to-do list grows and the unread emails pile up, if I'm being consistent about making progress on the work that matters to me, that $1,000 or $10,000 work, that's super helpful just in terms of my own mental well-being. There's still going to be FOMO, but if I can keep moving the ball forward, I know that's going to stack up to some wins over time. So what's that one thing you can do today? It doesn't have to be all the things, but can you build some positive momentum? And I need to be transparent here. Sometimes the one thing to get closer to your goal has nothing to do with work at all. I found work motivation over the summer to be super low, but I did find a lot of motivation to hang out with the kids, to go to the pool, to go hiking, to go golfing with dad, to visit friends. All that stuff took priority and it was a ton of fun. It made me super grateful to have that flexibility. Aziz Ansari has this new Netflix special that came out earlier this year. And in part of it, he talks about a conversation with Frank Ocean on how he doesn't do press, he doesn't tour, he only releases music what he wants to. And Aziz asks him, hey man, what's the secret? And the punchline is, you know, you just got to be comfortable making less money. 
Brian's episode is a really inspiring story of persevering through 11 months of not getting a single client for his digital marketing side hustle, but he eventually cracked that code and turned it into a full-time business, episode 496, if you want to go check it out. Along those same lines, Shannon Houchin's advice from episode 514 stood out. Never be afraid to ask for what you want. If it suits your business goals and it suits your personal desires, ask for it. There's always a lot of talk about charging what you're worth, about raising your rates. And it's always something I've had a hard time with, trying to balance the value that I bring with some level of gratitude just to be getting paid at all. I was at a presentation this summer where the speakers described taking on all sorts of jobs in the beginning of their business, reasoning that $1,000 is better than no $1,000. But partially inspired by Shannon and partially just due to the growth of the business and other constraints, I'm trying to make a more conscious effort to negotiate better deals, make things more worthwhile, especially on the sponsorship side of things, especially on the affiliate side of things. There was a deal that came across my desk this month to um, really eat up a big chunk of advertising inventory for the next year, but the rate was really weak. It was a big company and they're trying to flex their own economies of scale and bargaining power and brand name. And I can't blame them for that, but I had to say no. It's like, you know, that's not really where I want to be in terms of pricing. And we'll see. We'll see what they come back with. Worst case, they say no. I go back to the drawing board and fill up that inventory another way. But if you don't ask for what you want, you end up just being an order taker. Almost everything is negotiable. And I appreciated Shannon's reminder of that. Let the sticker price be a starting point, but it doesn't have to be where you end up. And sometimes all it takes is an email. Sometimes all it takes is a phone call. There was a big conference I wanted to go to. This was five or six years ago. And the ticket was $1,000. So I thought, well, there's got to be another way, right? So I sent a note and asked if they had any press passes available. And I cited my blog as the press outlet that I worked for. And you know what? They said yes. So the key is to always consider, well, what's in it for the other side? Illustrate your unique value and then make your proposal. Worst case, they say no. Ask for what you want. Thank you to Shannon for that. Another one of my favorite sound bites from the year came from Cat Block in episode 471. Cat runs Modern Photo Booth Company, which started as a side hustle and is now probably one of the largest, if not the largest, photo booth companies in Canada. When we were recording, she mentioned her first photo booths and the equipment startup costs were around $16,000 US dollars. So I asked her, you know, what gave you the confidence to make that investment? The saying that's always resonated with me, a lot of people's like scared money don't make money. And when I have like this feeling, it's like a gut feeling that I know I need to do something. It's like, I don't even think twice about spending that money. Scared money don't make money. One of the lines I don't think I'd ever heard before, but one that I refer back to quite a bit now, there's a lot to unpack here and everybody has a different relationship with money. For me personally, it's taken a long time to overcome the scarcity mindset when it comes to money. Time, once you spend it, it's gone forever. But money, you know, you can always make more. It's maybe more forgiving in that way. So I feel like I've made some important progress in becoming less tight-fisted both in the business and in personal life, trying to embrace the coast fire concept a little bit with a hat tip to Andy Hill from Marriage, Kids, and Money Hat tip to Marco from Whiteboard Finance. I think he's got a video on this. Uh, this is a branch of the FIRE movement, the Financial Independence Retire Early movement that has you front load your retirement savings, as Bryn and I have done. And then you have the flexibility to take your foot off the gas a little bit, make some near-term investments in improving your quality of life without worrying as much about 
what they cost. And then the idea is you let time and compound interest work to your advantage to multiply the savings that you've already accumulated. But I will tell you, frugal habits die hard, though. It's hard to reverse, you know, 40 years of doing things a certain way and being like, hey, you know what? It's okay. We can afford that. On uh, the business side, I mentioned some of the advertising investments made this year. I've also made some home office upgrades, like a new sit-stand desk, a bigger monitor. It is buying the software to make life easier. It's paying for the expert training to learn a new skill. It's delegating certain tasks to team members, even when you could do it yourself for free. It's mailing microphones to podcast guests to make sure they sound good. And there's some element of, you know, when you pay, you pay attention. And I think that was a line from Shane Sams, but definitely true for me. Scared money, don't make money. It's definitely become a popular line between Bryn and I when we're considering certain shopping decisions, business related or not. So thank you, Kat, for that one. One of the common themes from this year was consistency. And I think this is tip number 13 on the list. Varney Simbola put it this way. We are human beings of habits. So if you can do something consistently, it becomes a habit. So whatever you pick that you want to do, as long as you know that stuff is beneficial to you, and, and, and it's, especially in the form of business, just hang in there to be consistent long enough until it turns into a habit. And once it turns into a habit, you got it. You don't even feel like you're working anymore because it's a habit. I really resonate with this because I feel like so many elements of the business through just doing them so long have become a habit. Like creating this podcast has become a part of my identity. And listeners know, rain or shine, there's going to be a new episode every Thursday. And hopefully it's on an interesting, compelling, helpful, shareable topic, not just trying to fill airspace. And so maybe consistency is another superpower. The business landscape probably looks more crowded than it really is because only a minority of those businesses are showing up consistently. I was listening to an interview with Omar Zenholm from the $100 MBA podcast. The dude has way more episodes than me. He does them every day. He's over 2,100, 2,200 episodes at this point. And in the interview, he referenced a line from Shoe Dog, which is Phil Knight's memoir about the early days of Nike. And the line was this, the cowards never started and the weak died along the way. That leaves us. And to think about that in the context of podcasting, I think the latest stat was like, there are 4 million podcasts, but only a quarter million or something, like a tiny fraction of those are actually active and have published something in the last month. And so it's like, it seems more crowded than it really is. And maybe consistency, maybe another superpower for you. So I appreciated that advice from Varney. But how do we balance consistency and persistence if we're just not seeing results or we're just not seeing the results we want fast enough? I mean, if you're walking consistently, but you're doing it in the wrong direction, you're only getting more and more lost with every step you take. The answer may lie in this excellent bit of advice from Jill Teets in episode 535. My number one tip is iterate. If something is not working in the way that you want, don't just say, you know, it's it must be the algorithm or because that person's lucky or, you know, everyone's out to get me. Make some changes try something new. Like a lot of times we'll do the same thing over and over and over and over and it's not working and we don't know why, but then we keep repeating it. So just like I did with my posts, make new iterations, try a new thing and then you'll see, oh, that was even worse. So I should change it back or change this. <laughs> like, So just be willing to try new things and new versions of what you're doing. Iterate. And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you've probably heard some of those iterations, starting out with the voiceover hype guy from Fiverr, 
phasing him out, working in different intros, different formats. The latest is the little music bed at the top of the show to see if that brings a bit more energy, gets people more excited to stick around. That was a tip from Glenn James at FinCon, big personal finance podcaster in Australia. Another iteration has been adding the you might also like section to the bottom of my newsletter, which inadvertently unlocked a new revenue stream in the form of newsletter sponsorships. The answer to growing your business or getting that initial traction, it's probably evolution, not revolution. There may be some small incremental tweaks that you can make to your message, you know, a one degree shift in direction versus, uh, you know, a wholesale 180. And those little changes to your marketing, to your message, to your product, those can have a big impact. But doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, that's the definition of insanity, at least a quote attributed to Einstein, hashtag not fact checked on that. And the final bit of advice that I kept coming up over the last year or so was the value of coaching and mentorship. This was mentioned by multiple guests, including Jennifer Sobel, Chris Lellini, Justin Tan, just last week. And I really liked the way Ryan Levesque put it in episode 508. This has kind of been my one move in life. And I'll share it with you. It's the, it's the, probably the most important piece of wisdom that I can pass along. When I spent some time studying like the greatest performers, greatest athletes, greatest people in virtually any field, what I found is that they, they tend to have one move that they repeat over and over again. So, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, basketball player, one of the greatest all time, had one indefensible shot, the sky hook. Mariana Rivera had the cut fastball. It was an unhittable fastball. He was the first unanimous Lee voted uh, baseball player, voted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Richard Branson has one move in his business. He hires the number two person at the number one company in a field or industry that he wants to advance into, and he makes that number two his number one. So every most successful person tends to have this one move. And so my one move that I've followed over and over again is one that anybody can steal, anybody can copy, and it's actually very, very simple. If there's an area of my life that I want to improve upon, if I want to improve it, whether it's being a better dad, being a better husband, being a better uh, marketer, CEO, being a better leader, whatever it might be, I find a coach or mentor in that space and I strive to become that coach or mentor's number one student. That's it. That's been my one move. Find a mentor in the area of your life that you want to improve upon and strive to become that person's number one student. And I can tell you that has served me in my entire career. It's been sort of transformational in my life. And I found when I've passed that along to our students, they are the students, the ones who adopt that mindset, who are the most successful and who get the best results and have the best time doing it as well. So become your mentor's number one student. It's probably an overused quote, but you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So make sure you're surrounding yourself with a supportive network that's on a similar journey to you. This is where I would plug my high ticket membership slash coaching program, only I don't have one. So hopefully the podcast and the wisdom from the amazing side hustle social guests will suffice for today. So to recap, to summarize the 14 big ideas, number one was build your email list and also know your numbers so you can test different offers, see what's going to work better. Second one was from Nathan Berry was optimize your funnel. We spent a lot of time thinking how to get more traffic, more listeners, more readers, but what do you do once you have them? Optimizing your funnel is the answer to that. Number three was updating your old content. Don't ignore all this great stuff from the archives. Make sure it's refreshed. Make sure it's up to date. Make sure it's still relevant and ranking for you. That was from Robert Farrington. His second bit of advice was to pick two platforms. Have your 
website as your home base and then go out into the world onto some social platform where your target audience is already hanging out. Maybe it's video, maybe it's podcasting, maybe it's LinkedIn, whatever that may be, but pick two. I liked his advice there. Number five, it was to follow the demand. This was from Georgia Austin. This is the thesis of the Buy Buttons book at buybuttonsbook.com, but also just paying attention to what wants to happen was advice from another guest um, in the past couple of years, paying attention to what wants to happen, following that demand. The next bit of advice was take messy action. Give yourself permission that it doesn't have to be perfect. Done is better than perfect in a lot of ways. My dad's advice when we were working on home improvement projects was, it's not a piano, which wasn't to say he didn't care about quality, but it was like, look, it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. Let's get this thing done. The next bit of advice was from Matt Ruttenberg, and that was to use your superpower. And maybe superpower is an overstated way of saying, look, what are you better at than the average person? What comes easier to you than the average person? And I've identified a handful of mine that previously would not have even considered them skills necessarily, and, and certainly not superpowers. The next advice was to build build out systems from uh, Jeff Diorio when the pain point starts to pile up of, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. You know, there's got to be a better, faster, smarter way uh, to get that done. Remove yourself from certain operations in your business. Do one thing a day to get closer to your goal. This was advice from Brian Gearin. Absolutely love this. To, you know, be consistent, start chipping away at it and uh, and keep that goal in mind. And the goal doesn't have to be work related. I talked about some family related goals I was able to invest some time into this summer as well. 10 was never be afraid to ask for what you want. Remember, everything is negotiable. If you don't ask, the answer is likely already going to be no. Number 11 was scared money. Don't make money. Don't be afraid to invest in yourself, invest in your business. Love that bit of advice and one that we refer to quite a bit in our house. Number 12 was consistency. Varney's call to make it a habit. Once it becomes a habit, it doesn't even feel like work anymore. Number 13 was iterate from Jill Teets, trying different things in your business, maybe just those little tweaks to uh, test and see if you get some different results from those. And be And I position all of these in my mind as an experiment. Look, I'm going to try this out. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, okay. There's another iteration that I can try down the road. And finally, number 14 was the power of mentorship and Ryan Levesque's call to find a mentor and become their number one student. That was, he called that his one move in business. But big thanks to all the incredible guests from the last year on the show. I am truthfully filled with gratitude to be able to share your stories and inspire others to take action and improve their financial well-being. It's just, I get to do this as my job. Like, it's really cool. If you'd like to dive deeper into any of the episodes mentioned, I will link them up along with their episode numbers in the show notes for this one at sidehustlenation.com slash tips nine. This started, I think, with episode 50, what I've learned and applied from 49 awesome entrepreneurs. We've done it nine times since then. Lots and lots of incredible wisdom on the show. I'll also include the show notes link in the episode description of your podcast app if you prefer that but definitely recommend checking out these great episodes, these great guests. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. FreshBooks.com slash side hustle is where you'll be able to start your 30-day completely free trial of the number one invoicing and accounting solution for side hustlers, freelancers, and service providers everywhere. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where it's my favorite episode of the year. It's the fifth annual round of 10 creative side hustles that make real money.
I'll see you then. Hasalan.